Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You are with Lyle and... Minnie. Minnie. How are you this morning? Look, I'm good. I'm a bit sore. I sleep without a pillow and I also sleep on my side. So sometimes I wake up and my neck's a bit like, huh. Why do you sleep without a pillow? Oh, I just wake up with it. I must, in my sleep, just consistently, just night after night, I get rid of it because I just always wake up. I'll start with one, but I just always wake up without one. Okay. And like, they're like, just throw it off the bed. Yeah. I have three yep. and all of them end up on the floor. You start off with three and no, end no, up with none. Just, I'm not like all, like, but they're like, I'm just kind of like smooshed in around them. Because I just like being cosy, and then they're not there when I wake up ever. <laughs> but I'm good. I'm good. I'm just. I woke up. I was like, "Ooh, hello." <laughs> that muscle is there. <laughs> um. I'm, yes. Well, if you ever get married, I'm going to have a conversation with your husband about this, and we're like, "Hey, if you end up on the floor in the middle of the night, there is a reason why." <laughs> Kicked you out. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, dear. Okay. So, what are you thankful for this morning? I am thankful for. So I started growing a garden a couple of months ago or a month ago. I don't know. Anyway, last night I was eating my own spinach and silver beet and all the things. Nice. It's the best. Nice. I was very happy about it. Yes. There's a lot of things that are growing that I don't know what they are. I don't remember where I planted them or what they are. So they're kind of things are just kind of growing at different heights and levels. I'm like, well, we'll find out what you are. But spinach and silver beet I can recognize. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so here's what you do. There's a solution to this. Uh-huh. When you finish planting the seed, you take the empty packet, you put it on a stick and you jam it in the end of the row. Yeah, it's too and late that for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good. What about you? What are you thankful for this morning? Granola. Oh, okay. Lovely. Haven't yes. they stopped making that? Ten years ago. <laughs> So you've had supplies. <laughs> starting to get, uh, starting to turn. Oh, <laughs> starting no. to get a bit long in the tooth. But it's still there. It's kind of one of those indestructible products. In fact, it was more than 10 years old because the use by date was 10 years ago. Oh. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Anyway, what's happening in the world of positively different news this morning, Minnie? Okay, so there's a lady called Catherine and she is an NDIS worker. Um, she's been doing it for a little while, but she has started She started out making meals for people who couldn't cook, cook for themselves. But due to her work with a lot of NDIS clients, she started the Cook, Eat, Repeat program. Cook, Eat, Repeat. Repeat. Yeah, that's Look, take it with a grain of salt. Yeah, like, but we, that's what we all do, right? Is, we yeah, cook, we eat, repeat. But in the, fact, my wife cooks, I eat. <laughs> it repeats. <laughs> the process repeats. It's you a, have a good deal. It's a good system. It's a good system. <laughs> and she can cook. Man. Yes. Every time I've eaten Shell's food, I'm like, oh, yes. so good. I'm married to the she best. tried to teach me one of her recipes, and it was so good, and it was so simple. But I was like, I'll remember that. Don't remember. And I was like, do you have a recipe? She's like, no, I just put it together. I was like, oh, you're one of those people. Just puts flavors together, and it works amazingly. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. It's been a very, very long time very since I've good. seen my wife use a recipe. Oh, amazing. That's the good right there. But anyway, so basically, Catherine has started this program, and it's designed for people who are unable to cook for themselves. Just trying to like give him, give them those skills, teach them those. Like I know there's recipe books and there's things, but I think for me, I'm someone. If you show me, I find it easier. Like if you just right. give me a recipe, I'm like, but how should it taste? How should it look? I just don't know that. I'll still do it, but I just I have not the confidence in the kitchen to be like, yeah, this would be awesome. I'm like, well, it might be. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> um, but yeah, so basically, this is about their confidence and independence, and hopefully, the capacity to live on their own because. Um, a lot of her clients are still living with parents or different things, even if they're like grown adults. It's just because of the different disabilities that they have. And so they're really trying to help, okay, you know, if something were to happen to these parents, we hope that it doesn't, but if they do, 
um, it kind of leaves the clients really, um, yeah, without a lot of skills because they've had support, which is a point of NDIS, right, is to give sure. some support. But they're going, if we can, if we can encourage independence – that's going to be ideal for everyone because it gives them that confidence to be like, yes, I can do these things. They don't need as much help, hopefully. Um, and yeah, and what I love about this is well, many things, but her approach is like, let's get f- healthy food. So fresh food, not just okay. processed food, yes, yes. Um, which is, yeah, she said a lot of her clients are just their main meals are fast food. If they're going to cook for themselves, it's not cooking for themselves. It's we'll just go to the closest takeaway. Um, so it's all fresh. And then she's also finding that in, um, putting the emphasis on, hey, like let's eat healthier. For a lot of them, it's now translating into more lifestyle holistic. Like, oh, not just we're going to eat well. Oh, maybe we could start going on walks together. Oh, maybe we could start doing this thing. Um, and so that's kind of like a byproduct, like naturally, of her kind of trying to help them with this. It's kind of opening their eyes to the other areas in it's their giving life. Giving them a new hobby, healthy, yes. healthy living hobby. Yes, exactly. Um, and this is one of the things you find with a lot of people that get into uh, healthy living. It becomes a hobby for them. It's like, oh, how can I do this to be healthier? How can mm. I do that to be healthier? How can I affect my body in this way and that way? And, and when it becomes a hobby like that, it's something that is – it just becomes super interesting like any other hobby, like any other you know competition or whatever it might be. Fully. It becomes super interesting and people really invest in it. And there is nothing more important – other than your walk with Jesus Christ and investing yeah. in your health because those two things are linked together. Mm. You can't separate them. Mm, absolutely. And I think what's helpful too is sometimes if you're trying to transition into making healthier choices, it can feel like it's really hard and really big and how do I know what to do and with these ingredients, it just you know, it all seems hard. Yes. When you start to do it, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, you can do them all gourmet and stuff, but you can do it really simply and healthfully. Um, and I think having people who can – show you that as the in can be helpful unless you have people around you you know some people do just naturally have friends and family who are like that but I have many friends who they don't have anyone and so they're like I know I should but it seems very difficult to start <laughs> um, you know so I just think that's a, that's yeah, a it, good it's, thing well, she's doing it's kind of what you grow up with too because mm. uh, living health eating healthy food is no harder than eating unhealthy food it's no more difficult to you know to, to cook it's just different and it's, and it's what's known and to it, you. Yeah. And it's what's known to you. And, and if, um, you know, if a high-mate a high, a high diet is what is known to you, then it's like, well, how do I, how do I transition to being a vegetarian? What am I going to eat? You know, mm. and some sort of people sort of look at it like you're just going to eat lettuce. No, vegetarians <laughs> eat more than lettuce. Um, I did go to a restaurant one time in a country that I won't name, and, and I told them I was a vegetarian, and they really seriously looked at me like I had three heads because I don't think there's any vegetarians <laughs> in that country. And they bought me back a plate of lettuce. Brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> with with uh, the, uh, that added, I think that added balsamic vinegar, which I don't like. Oh, I was going to say I'd love that. I love vinegary foods, but if you don't like it, I don't like balsamic vinegar. I'm sorry, it's just like nah, not my thing. You know, if there's other dressings out there that I quite like, but not balsamic vinegar. And so it was lettuce <laughs> with balsamic vinegar, added. which you didn't like. <laughs> and I was like. This is the worst. Guys, just make me some potatoes at least. Yes, potatoes. Man, you can't go wrong with potatoes. You can't. <laughs> so. Man, shall not live by bread alone, but potatoes on the other hand. <laughs> Dude, I could live on potatoes. I love them. So another story. Um, a Gold Coast community has helped Nathan Watson celebrate his 40th birthday with a COVID safe party. So it started when his sister turned to social media to save the day. Um, and she put on the Gold Coast Community Facebook page, essentially just like, hey, 
would people be willing to just drive past the home, like give a wave, like beep their horns, you know, but just like share the love a bit. They just expected a couple of people come up. No, no, no. They had like over a hundred people come. Whoa! <laughs> Is this because he had that many friends, or because it went a little bit viral? And yeah, because was like, it was yeah, just online, okay. and people were like, "Yeah, we can support this." Um, and so, did all the neighbours get upset at everyone driving past and tooting their horn? Well, I think it was just the community spirit that kicked in. Uh-huh. Like you know, that sometimes happens, sometimes doesn't. You're right. Yeah. Some people do get a bit annoyed about these things. I mean, but it was during the day, so it wasn't at night. So I guess there's not that element of noise and sure. annoyance. Um, but yeah, they, a local police patrol car came by, which Nathan thought was great, as did a Ghostbusters car. I don't know what that means or what it looks like, but apparently that was exciting. Um, and then there were people who just brought things. So people bought, uh, brought bags of lollies and teddy bears. One person came by and just handed him a cake, like probably a Coles cake or something, you know, just like a quick and easy. <laughs> Minnie, um, you need to put your bet next birthday on social media. <laughs> yeah, I think. Right, guys. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so Nathan has Down syndrome, loves music, loves dancing, loves attention. He said it was the best day ever. And so the parents were all very, uh, the parents and family were very grateful. Um, cause I don't know what his plans were going to be. Um, but w- for whatever reason, they went, you know what, it's probably not the best choice to do it with COVID restrictions. And, um, yeah, the community was just like, we've got your back. I find a lot of people with Downs can be very, very sociable people. And mm, I, mm. I imagine that uh, COVID lockdown would be extremely difficult for them. Mm. Um, so, yeah, and I, I think it's one of those disabilities that we often don't think about when we think about people who are suffering during lockdown. We think about people who have depression and so forth. But, yeah, what about somebody who's got Downs and suddenly they're locked down and, they, you know, they yeah, that's just challenging. Yeah. But anyway, great so, birthday for him. Absolutely. Yeah. And congratulations <laughs> to everybody on the Gold Coast who made his birthday a very special day. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. All right, so we're going to talk about life outside of planet Earth today. Brilliant. And in doing so, we're going to consider the probability of life on a planet from the standpoint of... Evolution. And the reason this fascinates me is this. It just bends my mind that we spend so much money and so much energy. And I totally support the idea. I think it's a great idea. Why not? You know, let's, I'm not against science. I'm not against learning stuff. I think that, um, I think that you, you don't know what you don't know until you learn it. Learn it, yeah. And, and you don't know what will be useful until you learn it. And then it might be useful. It might not be useful. <laughs> we spend a lot of money to learn about unuseful things, but sometimes we find useful ones. So I'm all about progress and study and discovering new things. I believe that God has created us with an inquiring mind and that he has created us in a universe with lots of things to discover and that we should do that. We, mm. are, we are living our lives in the image of God when we do so. However... Uh, for a, a life-friendly universe, mm-hmm. so let's just start there, a universe in which life could even possibly exist. The odds of that, according to mathematician Roger Penrose, are 1 in 10 to the power of 10 okay. to the power of 123. Brilliant. That's a, a lot of zeros. Okay? <laughs> so very unlikely is what he's saying. Very unlikely. Uh, according to the famous mathematician uh, Sir Fred Hoyle, the odds of just getting the right enzymes together for life. So you've got to get the right enzymes together for life. Goodness knows what's going to give them that initial spark once they are together. But to get them together are 1 in 10 to the 40th power. 40,000th power, sorry. The 40,000th power. Okay. So basically what they're saying is the fact that we exist is ridiculous. Exactly, exactly, right? <laughs> okay. 
Um, Just to be clear. Now, the number of atoms in the entire universe, like the entire universe, is atoms, mm-hmm. is 10 to the 80th power. So the odds um, of impossibility are 1 in 10 to the 50th power. My brain is starting to hurt with all these numbers. <laughs> brain strain. Okay, that's 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 what that's, uh, that's what uh, mathematicians will say is the odds of impossibility. Once it reaches this particular point, it will never happen. Okay, it is impossible for it to happen. Mm-hmm. So one in ten to the fiftieth power of the odds of impossibility. Um, so uh, uh, let me see here. Dr. Hugh Ross says the one hundred forty-two factors that must be exactly right to allow life to exist anywhere in the universe. With a further 800, 922 factors to allow life to exist on a planet, that was as of 2014, uh, the chance of these combining in one planet are 1 in 10 to the 1,050th power. Why? So that's, that is infinitely beyond... Yeah, that's huge. ...the odds of impossibility. Mm-hmm. Now, evolutionists know all this. And by the way, research continues to add one, on average... One million zeros to that per month. That's huge. Yes. <laughs> to the odds of impossibility. So the more we learn, the more impossible evolution becomes. So on, mm. that, on, that, on that basis, if you're an evolutionist, you would have to conclude that the only reason that life exists anywhere in the universe is because the universe is so vast... Mm. And there are so many planets and so much opportunity for life that somehow it existed on one planet. But mm. then you would have to, surely you would have to conclude that the odds of life existing on two planets, I mean, how many zeros is that going to add to these equations if you suddenly have life on more than one planet. Okay, well, this is what question I was going to have. As you're telling this story, I was like, are they saying then that they don't think any other planets have life? Well, well they're just saying the, 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 the odds of it's life so on a planet are so improbable. remotely mm-hmm. improbable and, and, well, they're actually way beyond the odds of impossibility. Right. Right? And then they're going to look for life on another planet? <laughs> and then they're going to spend buckets of money to look for life. To look for life that they don't believe is likely to exist. On Mars. Yeah, and what's yeah. that going to say if they do find life on Mars? Because that's going to say that life is not uncommon. Uh-huh. Life is incredibly common in the universe. Yes. But the odds of life existing in the universe are still way beyond the odds of impossibility. <laughs> you see where I'm going with this, right? It's a total stitch up, no matter which way they go. That's right. Okay, so... Um, if you were going to find life on in our solar system, where would you go? Oh, I don't know. A planet? Yes. Which one? Well, they're talking about Mars, aren't they? They're talking about Mars. Yeah. Let's not talk about Mars. Oh. Mm. Let's talk about a planet where uh, nobody ever looked for life because the surface of the planet is 470 degrees Celsius. That's kind of hot. That's very hot. Okay. Venus. Okay. So Venus is very close to us. Wait, they, they're looking there? Okay, so Venus is very close. Let me finish this story. Okay, Venus, is, Venus is very close to us mm. uh, here in the solar system, a very close planet. Um, and they have just discovered the uh, phosphine gas in the atmosphere of Venus. This is a very short-lived gas. Okay, so if you, for it to exist, you've got to be continually producing it. Mm-hmm. All right? It's only produced by microbes. Ooh, interesting. <laughs> okay. Okay. Now they have been able to, you know, replicate it in uh, industry and labs and so forth. Mm-hmm. 
But in the natural world, it's only produced by microbes. Doesn't that mean you need a lot? Like a lot of microbes? Well, if the gas is there, then it is, and it's very short-lived gas, mm-hmm. then it's continually being produced. Mm, interesting. Okay, so uh, what do we say? Venus has uh, a surface temperature of 470 degrees. It, uh, it's kind of like, uh, you know, anyone's depiction of hell. <laughs> so surface temperature yeah. 470 Very degrees hot. It has an atmosphere Lots of nice clouds Over the top To keep you shady They are made of 90% sulfuric acid It sounds like If any one of us Tried to go We would immediately die Immediately die yeah. uh, They float around About 60 kilometres Above the surface uh, That's probably a good thing That they're so far up Because they have uh, They exist in a balmy temperature Of about, about 30 degrees And this is where They found this phosphine gas Interesting. And so they're asking the question, is there life on Venus floating around in the atmosphere? Can't look for it on the surface, but it could be in the atmosphere. There is, as they stated, there is no other known uh, process that can explain phosphine other than microbial activity. So then how are they explaining it, though, if they're saying there's nothing else? Well, they're just very excited about it because they don't oh, know. Okay, 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 yeah. It's like, have we found life? Is that, mm. that is the big question right now. Have we actually found life? That'd be pretty Venus? exciting. That'd be super exciting. It would, it would have to bend the brains of every evolutionist on the planet. Um, and so they're saying that, well, maybe this one is an extremophile, but extremophiles on Earth have a maximum of 121 degrees Celsius or minus 25 and 5% acidity as opposed to 90% acidity. So this is, if this is an extremophile, it is an extremely extreme <laughs> extremophile. Yeah, gotcha. Okay, so uh, this was discovered in Hawaii, and they were like, no, can't be. So they discovered it again in Atacama, uh, Atacama Desert, um, and they were able to confirm that, yes, this does actually exist. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Well, joining us on the phone this morning all the way from New Zealand is Gordon Gossett. Gordon, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, Lyle. How are you doing? Yeah, doing really well, Gordon. What's it like to live in a country where there's uh, no COVID? Well, it's interesting. We we live in the South Island. We've got no COVID, but we've still got a level of down. Oh, really? So that's a bit of an oxymoron. That is. I thought uh, I thought New Zealand had pretty much gone back to normal these days, but uh, I knew that. Uh, you no, had another week. Up there We've got and... another week. And... Another week. And... Another week, and we could be back to level one. Yeah. Back so, to so when it broke out in uh, Auckland, there they didn't just uh, raise the drawbridge and and uh, leave things all good in the South Island. No, which would have been a logical thing to do, but uh, maybe not a political thing. To do, so. <laughs> this is very yeah. true. That's the world in which we live. Now, Gordon, we didn't we didn't call you in New Zealand to talk about COVID, of course. Um, Gordon Gossett is uh, is a pastor from New Zealand who recently um, published a new book, um, which is called "What's to Know: Egypt to Canaan." Gordon, we want to know what this book is all about. Now, it's not available in Australia yet. Because of COVID, what we're going to do is, as soon as it is available, we're going to get a couple of copies over here for uh, giveaways on Faith FM, um, and we will tell you all about that. But, uh, Gordon, what's to know about Egypt to Canaan? Okay, so, yeah, sorry it isn't available in Australia yet. We've got a whole lot of books still in the publisher in, uh, or the printer in Korea, are about to be shipped out. We did a book launch just before the COVID hit us here in, in New Zealand. 
I had to race into the warehouse to grab the books before they were locked in the warehouse and I had to pay storage fees and we did one book launch uh, advertised on TV here and then we were about to launch it and the world changed for us all but yeah what's to know it's uh, it's called what's to know on the journey from Egypt to Cana so it's in the, a book about the the examples the lessons we can learn from the children of Israel traveling from Egypt through to Canaan but more than that it's it's looking at the whole Old Testament as an example First Corinthians 10 tells us you know of course in verse 6 that these things were examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And First Corinthians ten eleven said, "Now these things were in samples, and they happen. All these things were in samples, and they happened unto them. They are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world have come." And I believe that the whole Old Testament is an example. So it's sort of bounced off that, and the life in Canaan as well. So, Gordon, there's a lot of things that you could, uh, you know, when, when somebody like yourself sits down to write a book, there's a lot of, lot of different subjects that you could choose. What was it that inspired you to focus in on this particular part of the Old Testament? As you say, they're all, they're all there as examples, but you're focused in on the journey from Egypt to Canaan. Yeah, what was it that started you down that path? Yeah, well, that's the launch pad. And as I said earlier, Lyle, um, it was... Uh it, it goes into when they're living in Canaan, which is the story of the Old Testament from the book of Joshua through to Malachi is a journey, the sojourn of the children of Israel in Canaan. We can learn as many lessons, there's a lot of lessons given from there, but the book came about, it wasn't something I originally planned to write. I did a series of lectures, eight lectures and uh, presentations in New Zealand here on the Exodus story which is the foundation of the book. There was a PhD sitting there from the um, university in Ghana. And so he started telling me that he was going to speak in Ghana. And in 2017, I went over there uh, to do the Bible lecture series at the university church. And, well, you know, I went to Ghana because I bought you back a number plate from Ghana. You did indeed, yes, which proudly hangs on my workshop wall uh, amongst my number plate collection. Just put that out there. I do collect number plates. If anybody got any uh, unique or exotic number plates, then uh, you know our number here on Faith FM. <laughs> yeah, so but, if you're travelling the world, always put a number plate in the bottom of your of your pack or your, your uh, suitcase for life. So anyways, when I was heading over there, just before um, the PhD left to go back to Ghana, from our church, he he told me that they were, he said, I've got to let you in on a secret. The PhDs at the university had listened to the, the presentations and they were going to write a book and then they were going to publish it in my name when I was there. That was going to be part of the the, the program of the Bible lecture series. But then it, through a series of events, they realised the editing that needed to be done was going to make it not their, uh, my book, it would have been theirs. So... Just before I went to the Middle East, uh, and I was with you on that trip as well, Lyle, I got lumbered the job of editing the book and writing it. It was When I got into it, it was the best thing I've ever done. Uh, I just loved doing it, and uh, yeah, felt really inspired. So Other did people you, have been inspired. Yeah, I was going to say, John did you have a... Um, John, yeah, John Bradshaw, go ahead. Yeah, John Bradshaw um, read, read the first manuscript. And so did Neil Nedley, and they've both done a review on the back of it. They really uh, touched and blessed by it. And um, John Bradshaw's even done me a TV ad that we can uh, that we played over here, so um, to promote it. But then, of course, as I said, COVID come in and changed everything. 
Yeah. Best laid plans of mice and men. <laughs> Man, my goodness, didn't it uh, change fast too? Um, yeah. Now, um, Gordon, just uh, just 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 talking about this very quickly. How much was this? A, was this then a collaboration that you were able to do with um, a number of lecturers from the university in Ghana? Was or, or was this something that uh, ended up being entirely your own project? No, it was just my own project. They were going to put it into a book form, and but I went over there and did some presentations, did a series of eight presentations um, just before I flew back to meet with, up with you and the other a group of other people in Rotorua in New Zealand. So, uh, yeah, no, it was, it was it bounced out of a series of, of presentation sermons that I did in Christchurch back in uh, 2016. Mm. Okay, so the um, the idea of drawing object lessons out of the Old Testament, as you say, the Bible says that you know the whole Old Testament is there as examples for us. Out of all of those yep. stories, and out of all of those object lessons, which one jumps out to you the most? What 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 is the one that sort of you know grabs your attention more than any other? Well, from the Exodus story would be the, and I don't really want to um, steal a bit of the thunder from the book, but everybody <laughs> that gets a book, gets a gets a paper clip comes with the book. And the paper clip is to section off a portion of your Bible. And there's a portion where there was a huge period of time, 38 years, where there was very little written because there was nothing happening. It was just an aimless wandering in the wilderness. And the second chapter I talk about, Turn You Northward, is a, uh, was my own experience of feeling like I was just wandering around in the wilderness and not doing a lot for God. And when I, when I read it, this verse in Deuteronomy, it just impacted me, hit me like a locomotive out of control. And I just thought, man, I've got to get serious. And I made a couple of promises to God that I'd do anything he asked me to do. And... Um, start memorizing scripture I thought I've got to stop just treating water is how I felt so that impacted me personally and then, then I got asked to become a pastor I didn't ask for that I became asked to be an evangelist and asked to speak in different places around the world and yeah so I've sort of sometimes felt like saying well hang on God can I put a bit of an addendum on that promise <laughs> thank you for asking me to do too much but yeah they, they, I was really impacted by the Exodus journey and then I would say that um, Jeremiah in the New Testament how the people, the children of Israel, the moment they started to look at, around them, they started to do heinous things. They were sacrificing their own children and still claiming to be worshipping God. So the illustration of how far they fell um, is huge, but also um, just the vanity of... of the wasted time in the wilderness that, of course, we all know they didn't need to spend 40 years. Mm. Mm. Gordon, what's the writing style of this book? Um, you are known to be a person of significant intellect. Is this uh, easy reading for the average person or is this um, something more academic? Uh, definitely not academic. I, I can just read you... Well, you know me, Lyle. <laughs> I know, that's why I'm asking the question. <laughs> it's hard for me to be serious for more than 15 minutes, uh, so I'm trying to keep it together while we're doing this. But this is, I'll just read the first part from Neil Nedley on the back. He said, Pastor Gordon Gossett has masterfully utilised humour 
and word pictures to help implant deep and spiritual, uh, vital spiritual truth. So, yeah, it's it, there's a lot of uh, fun to be had. Yeah, you go fantastic. The book. So there's some academic stuff, there's, and um, there's John Bradshaw and others, um, Doug Batchelor who've read it, have said that they were inspired by some of the insights, spiritual insights. But, you know, you learn about um, what happens when people punch kangaroos in Australia and, and publish it online. People have said it's fun reading. But as John Bradshaw said, it's a book that you'll read and then reread. So yeah. you might need to read it twice. Uh huh. Uh-huh. But yeah, it's so been, it could, uh, yeah. an enjoyable thing. So, um, well, this 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 sounds good. We always love it when uh, New Zealanders pick on Australians for the stupid things that we do. <laughs> but um, oh no, it's not. A, it's not a. It's not a picking on Australia. It's um, just an experience that happened for an Australian in a in the bush and just the madness of the social media response to it. Yeah, yeah. To give you an idea, I was always going to write a book about my life story and the life story of others, and it was that was always what I thought would be my first book. Would, was going to be titled, and it's on the pipeline now. Um, you can't make honey out of goat droppings, but God can, and so uh, it sort of gives you a bit of a yep. sense of the genre. Uh-huh, if you like. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, and, so and, people and, have a lot of fun. And, Especially reading about the villains and the Exodus, uh, and the, the villains and the heroes of the Exodus is quite a bit of fun in those chapters. And I think for those of us that you know you, that, that know you, we we really did expect your first book to be about your life story. So we we're definitely looking forward to the uh, the second book book where you'll be able to you know document the journey that you've been through, uh, because you know God has done truly remarkable things in your life, and. Uh, I guess you've got a lot of things that you can be thankful for to God for, but oh, um, yeah. So this is this is fantastic. Okay, so this is going to be obviously you know you've given us a few insights there, a few little hints that this is going to be an easy reading book. This is the kind of book that anybody can read, and uh, will be available here in Australia sometime soon. Uh, we're not sure yet when yet because of COVID, um, but as soon as it is available, then we're definitely going to be doing some uh, promotion here on the breakfast show. Um, Gordon, we just want to thank you so much for joining us here on the on the show this morning. Ah, thank you for the opportunity, Lyle, and uh, hope you guys are staying safe over there. If the yeah. COVID don't get you, then the snakes and the spiders might. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, well, New Zealand is a beautiful country, but there's, there's no question about that. Uh, Pastor Gordon Gossett, thank you so much for joining us. That was uh, Pastor Gordon Gossett talking about his new book, which is called... Um, it's called What's to, What's to Know from Egypt to Canaan. And as soon as we get some copies of that, we're going to make it available for you. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.